Hello, I'm Gideon Culver, and you're listening to Where the Good Way Lies. So, written into the fabric of our Western civilization is the importance of pastoralism. This is highlighted in a couple different myths that are pretty important in our societies. Um, one is less well-known, but it highlights it very well. The Tanbo Cooley, or the Cattle Raid of Cooley, where the Irish hero Cúchulainn steals a bull from Queen Maeve, and in response, she makes war with Ulster, which is the country he ran to after uh, he stole the bull. And he fights off Queen Maeve's men for 30 days until he's eventually beheaded, and um, his story ends. But he has an epic story, and I mean, I mean epic in the original sense of the word. It is an epic poem, an epic tale about this warrior, Cuchulain, who is a, a bit of a mischief maker, um, who's mighty in battle, right? Like, he can't be beaten. And the Irish decided that the most reasonable conclusion to his story, because how can you kill a hero that is almost unbeatable, the most reasonable way that he was killed was because he stole a bull, and he was killed in retaliation. So, why is that? Why was, why were cattle so important that war was made because of them, right? And it's also highlighted in the Bible, which is a pretty fundamental uh, book in our Western society. And uh, the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David, are found shepherding their father's flocks. Saul, in his case, is found uh, looking for the, his father's donkeys, and David is found shepherding his father's sheep. And perhaps in the Middle Eastern culture, their ability to shepherd, right, the responsibility they learned, gave them the right to rule. Okay, And it's also echoed in the Bible with the story of the patriarch Jacob, who comes to wealth by his knowledge of breeding sheep and goats, and he's the father of the Jewish people. So it's a pretty important concept, right? This, impor- this importance placed on um, the domestication of these animals. And it changed fundamentally our culture. So I'm going get to get into that a bit today. Um, I'm going to get into how these animals were domesticated, uh, why they're domesticated, and some of the long-term effects that it's had on our civilization. So cattle were domesticated about 10,000 years ago in Asia Minor, um, or Anatolia, as it's also called, uh, modern Turkey. Horses were domesticated about 6,000 years ago in modern Ukraine, which is a part of the Eurasian steppe. And what were the advantages of having cattle and horses and, and sheep and goats, I suppose, but I don't know the dates of when those were domesticated. Um, so originally, those people were hunter-gatherers, right? They would roam around, they would hunt wild animals, they would fish and harvest wild plants for food. And eventually, they were able to domesticate different species. In this case, I'm, gonna, I'm talking about cattle and horses. And it gave them a continuous source of food, okay? It gave them meat, gave them clothing in the form of skins, and it gave them milk as well. And that was really important because for hunter-gatherers, life really depends on whether or not there's animals to hunt and whether or not there is 
plants to harvest. There are plants to harvest. So raising them yourself and herding them yourself gave you more control over the amount of food that you were able to harvest. So how did domestication happen? There are three ways that animals are domesticated. Three ways. So these three ways are um, the commensal pathway, the prey pathway, and the directed pathway. So the commensal pathway is kind of how dogs and cats and also I guess chickens too were domesticated. And this is that um, those animals initiated the domestication. They were probably following human, uh, well, groups, human tribes that were harvesting wild animals that were harvesting wild food and they're eating like the waste the the old bones the leftover scraps and stuff like that that was probably how dogs and cats and even actually chickens as well were domesticated and so in that method all you really need to do is start feeding the animals more right and it's pretty beneficial to both parties because then those animals can warn of predators and uh, they also, and then they're fed themselves. They have a reliable source of food and that was pretty valuable. I mean, the domestication of the dog was pretty important to our culture and the domestication of the cat was also pretty important because it allowed, uh, it kept pests down, right? Like rats and mice weren't going to eat the harvest as much when cats were around. Um, and it, helped the cats because rats and mice were attracted to human settlements because there was a pretty good chance there was going to be food there. So the prey pathway, from my understanding, is that they would be hunting animals, right? Let's say they were hunting wild cattle, which were massive, by the way. The original wild cattle were something probably more along the, si the, the size of a water buffalo. So big animals. And they would hunt, our ancestors would hunt these giant cattle or these wild cattle. And eventually they would start to selectively harvest different animals and uh, probably try to push the herds in different directions towards different food until they were able to capture some, raise them, and use them for food. And this pathway is pretty common for meat animals because they were already being hunted and then they were, um, they were being kind of directed to different grazing grounds by people. And eventually they started becoming used to people, right? And this was also good for the cattle because it gave them protectors for a while, right? Before they were butchered, I suppose, um, but it improved their lifespan because they didn't have to be as alert to look for predators. And it also ended up making it so that now cows can breed throughout the year instead of having a seasonal breeding opportunity um, because they didn't have to worry so much about predators. And they also, their young were being taken care of by humans. So they didn't have to spend as much energy taking care of young. Horses were domesticated in the third way in the directed pathway and this was when an animal that is probably less um less cooperative is directly 
captured for the purpose of domestication. So instead of it being like, oh yeah, we're hunting, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go out and we're chasing these animals so they're moving to different locations and then, oh, hey, it might be a good idea to keep a couple of these. It was like, it would be good if these animals were with our settlements permanently instead of continuously being chased around. And so that's what happened with the horse, presumably. I mean, again, guys, we're talking about things that happened 6,000 to 10,000 years ago. So who knows? For goodness sakes. I mean, the horses could have walked up to the people, gave them a little nuzzle, and said, let's be friends, for all we know, right? Like, there's no written accounts of this stuff happening. It's just what we can infer from archaeology. So this was really influential because I may have said this, but when you have a herd, instead of worrying, right, instead of relying on where game species were, you could have a continuous source of protein right there. You were raising it, but it also fundamentally changed the way humans were living because instead of wandering around looking for food, like some people did and kind of still do today, which is a great way to live. I'm a big fan of um, hunter-gatherer cultures and hunting and fishing and wild harvesting is probably some of the healthiest food you'll ever get. However, to have a reliable source of meat um, in the form of domesticated cattle, horses or sheep or goats or pigs, I guess, eventually, was really fundamentally different, right? Because you didn't have to worry about, am I going to find a wild cow today? Am I going to be able to find a sheep or a goat in the ridiculously hard to get to places that sheep and goats live? You know, am I going to have to chase down a horse for seven days before it passes out and dies? Or can I have it around, maybe ride it, milk it, eventually eat it, and have that reliable source of food right there, right? So it changed the cultures that way in giving them reliable food, but it also changed how they operated because instead of putting energy into wild harvesting, into hunting, they now had to put energy into keeping those animals safe, keeping them alive. And that meant that they were coming in contact with different predators that they had originally probably had different ways of avoiding these predators. Now they had to keep the predators away from their flocks and their herds, right? So instead of looking out for wolves, now you had to make sure the wolves didn't come eat your cows, right? Instead of just worrying about your children, now you had to worry about the calves and the foals as well. So it also changed our cultures in that way, in that we had to start being more aware of different species. It also made it so we had to probably move over greater ranges because if you have enough livestock to feed your family for hopefully forever you actually have to move those around so that the food they're eating doesn't just get continuously depleted and we see this in modern pastoral cultures in mongolia i believe they herd their their livestock to new locations four times a year and um, in Africa, there's, there's different places they go in Africa. Some people do three different locations. Some people do two, some people do four. 
in Iran, they still do too. They have like a mountain range that they go up to in the winter and a, a lowland range that they go down to in the summer. Um, the Iranian pastor, pastoralists are really interesting to me because they're probably a continuation of those first traditions that our Indo-European ancestors developed. Uh, but more about that in a different podcast, maybe. Or maybe this one. Maybe we'll get to it. So it also changed because there was a social status, right? Somebody could have, instead of just being a good hunter, now somebody might be really good at taking care of animals to the point that their herd was bigger than somebody else's herd. That maybe they're really good at breeding animals like we see in uh, the Bible, right? There's lots of stories in the Bible about um, herdsmen being good at breeding different animals and that gave them wealth. It gave them prestige you know that's pretty impressive right that's pretty important that's a fundamental difference from just being good at hunting maybe you know and there's lots of things i'm not trying to dog on um, hunter-gatherer cultures guys i'm really not i'm just saying the difference between a hunter-gatherer culture and what's important in those cultures and what's important in a pastoral culture are fundamental they're extreme differences right so one of those extreme differences was that now the people that had more flocks, that had more animals, could provide jobs and therefore food for lower members of the society that maybe didn't have as many um, as many livestock. So you see this in those Iranian nomads. Usually there's um, a family group of two, like there's two families that have all of the flocks and then they'll hire people from the local villages to come shepherd their flocks, right? Because if you're going to have a big flock and only tend it with your family, you're going to have to have a lot of children. And maybe you don't have enough children to watch all your flocks. So then you need to hire out um, jobs, right? You need to hire other people to watch your sheep or your goats in this case. And that can also increase increase social structure because now instead of just taking care of your family you're also providing for the community and that's really important so it changed us physiology physiologically pastoralism did it changed us physiologically because in cultures where um, cattle and horses and sheep and goats were domesticated they started producing milk and they started eating milk so which is a really big deal instead of having to butcher your animals to get meat then somebody figured out that you could milk them and have milk to drink you could also make butter and cheese which was easily preserved for a long time which is a really big deal when you might run into a harsh winter when you need a high fat high energy food source that can be preserved for long periods of time so it changes physiologically because humans stop producing the enzymes to consume milk after we're weaned from our mothers. But in pastoral cultures, all of a sudden that enzyme continued to be made so that we could continue to consume milk products from these animals. And that's a really big deal. It really changed our ability to have food because we didn't have to kill the animals that we were raising. And it also changed our um, our social structure. Because then we had we could provide jobs. 
and we could give food without having to butcher some of our own animals. Okay, so that's pretty big. When you can have a herd, not butcher them all, and provide for your family and the community at large, all of a sudden it stratifies the culture. So there are people that have more animals and are able to provide more, and there are people that have less animals. Maybe they're not as good at breeding, maybe they're kind of a little more lazy and don't watch over the animals, whatever, you know what I mean? It created a new kind of culture. And eventually, that culture led to uh, things like the caste system in ancient India, uh, the feudal system in medieval Europe, and that was a big deal, right? And that's, in essence, a continuation of that original pastoral society that had people that were able to take care of a lot of animals and then provide jobs for other people that were less able to take care of many animals. And that has connotations even today. I mean, that's where our society came from, right? Feudalism and eventually the emergence of democracy all were made possible because of the social structures that came from pastoralism. So this is the end of the episode, but I want to throw in a little fun fact um, we wouldn't be able to write if it wasn't for the domestication of cows. I mean, I okay, all right. Obviously, maybe we would have come up with writing. Okay, sure. But, get this. In ancient Mesopotamia, in the Sumerian city-states, right, where they started developing cuneiform writing, they've been able to this find, through archaeology, that the first forms of writing weren't too write down things like religious texts, right? They weren't to write down complex philosophies or mathematics. I bet you can guess what they were used for. They were used to write down who sold cattle and sheep and donkeys to who. So eventually the scratches and the pictographs that they were using to show who sold what cattle to who became the complex form of writing that cuneiform was, and eventually gave rise to the Phoenician alphabet, which gave rise to the Greek alphabet, which gave rise to the Latin alphabet, which gave rise to the alphabet we still use today. So that none of that would have been possible if our ancestors hadn't domesticated the cow, the sheep, and the horse. Fun fact, right? So, yeah. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Um, If you did, maybe leave a review, tell a friend, uh, or not. Maybe you hated it. Maybe you thought it sucked. That's fine. You're entitled to your opinions. But either way, I hope you uh, at least maybe learned something and got a little bit of entertainment. So, again, this has been Gideon Culver, and you are listening to Where the Good Way Lies.